Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. When you go buy majority park-owned home, mobile home parks, buy at a discount and don't try and convert the runners too fast because you will have vacancy. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest-running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best Ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Presario Ventures, a private equity real estate firm based in the booming Austin, Texas market. To learn how you can invest in the future of Texas with Presario Ventures, visit info.presarioventures.com forward slash best ever. That link is in the show notes. I'm Slocum Reed. Today, we're joined by Tyler Lekas, who's joining us from Little Rock, Arkansas. He is a co-owner of the MHCI Group, which focuses on purchasing distressed mobile home communities in the Southeast. They own or operate, force appreciation, and then sell quickly or cash out refinance. Their current portfolio consists of mobile home communities counting up to 752 pads. That's approximately 30 million in assets under management. Tyler, can you tell us a little bit more about your background? Hey, Slocum. Thanks for having me on here. My background is I came from Wall Street and I managed a hybrid book of retail and institutional business at one of the big wirehouses. I got burnt out on that. When I was on my way out the door, my dad actually sent me an article about mobile home parks. So what I did was I looked into mobile home parks and I started analyzing the cash flow. I drove through a couple of them and I said, This looks like a really interesting asset class. So in 2017, I started owning and operating mobile home parks. And then in 2018, I actually moved to Florida and bought a park on my own down there. That was my first 55 space deal. And basically that's all she wrote. So that's a little bit about where I came from and how I got started. Nice. We recently had Tyler's business partner, Jason Postel on the podcast. That's episode 3299. If you want the opportunity to hear what Tyler and Jason have been up to lately, then go to that episode and you can hear all about what's going on with MHCI today. The conversation Tyler and I are going to have in this episode is more focused around the mistakes they've made along the road the last several years and mistakes 
that they want our listeners to learn to avoid. Tyler, I understand you have a list of five mobile home park investing mistakes you want to cover. Where do you want to start? Just five. I don't want to get too long-winded for the listeners here because I could go probably a little too far down the rabbit hole. But here are five biggest mistakes to probably avoid if you're getting in the mobile home park space. Number one is park-owned homes. And if your listeners don't know what a park-owned home is, just imagine a, a rental. So it's the same thing as a single-family house or an apartment or a townhome. So you basically own the mobile home as well as you own the dirt under the mobile home. So you're renting both pieces of real estate out. Again, mobile homes are not really considered real estate. They're considered personal property. But like I said, I won't go down the rabbit hole. So the banks out there, because mobile homes are personal property, they don't consider the income from park-owned homes, the actual home rental, not the lot rental, as part of the cap rate. So when you're underwriting a deal with a lot of park-owned homes, make sure to exclude that park-owned home income because that's going to completely change your valuation. I'll give you an example. Park-owned home, a rental is renting for $700 a month. The lot rent is $300. So your home rent in that space is $400 a month. Well, if you've got, we'll say 10 pads at $700 a month, that's $7,000 in income. Well, the problem with that is, is that the only income you can include is really the $300 in lot rent. So it's really $3,000 a month that the bank's actually going to look at. That's going to completely change the valuation. It's going to completely change your cap rate. And it's going to completely change the DSCR, the debt service coverage ratio the bank's going to look at. So without getting too long-winded, again, that's probably our number one mistake. I guess I have a comment and then a couple of questions here, Tyler. One of them is that it's it's the mobile home itself that has actual plumbing and electrical fixtures and heating and cooling appliances. It's the home itself that breaks down over time and depreciates in value over time. I know a lot of mobile home park investors give that same advice and talk about that mistake. You bring up an interesting point about how banks are looking at it for financing. So two questions here. I want to ask both of them at the same time and then just let you roll with it. The first is, what are banks doing with that phantom income? In most cases, my understanding is if you're doing not just pad rent, but also mobile home rent, more than 50% of your gross revenue as an operator is going to be coming from the homes themselves, personal property. Bank doesn't consider it. Is there any sort of borrowability on that revenue, on that income. The second question is, in your experience, when you're selling and when you're buying, how much are prospective buyers discounting revenue and NOI, profit, coming from home rent as opposed to lot rent? If the bank is not lending any credence to the POH rent, then the buyer isn't going to as well. I won't talk in hypotheticals. If we were buying a property, banks said we're not lending any credence to the cash flow coming off park-owned homes and it's only lot rent, guess what? We're not lending any credence to that either because we can't get any leverage on it. Most of our returns are going to be based off a levered return, especially in today's environment. We have to have that leverage to make our equity capital work. So we don't lend any credence really off any of the park-owned homes and the reason for that is, is again, that income is not bankable. There could be other smarter investors out there, 
that have probably bought more deals than us because they do lend credence to that. And maybe they come up with more equity down because they say, look, there is some tangible value here to these park-owned homes because you are getting real cash flow. You are getting real yield. Your first question was, is there any liquidity in those homes? I think you said something like that. Is that what you said, Slocum? Liquidity? That's a better way to ask the question than I did, Tyler. So really interesting. There's a bunch of chattel loan financing corporations out there. One of them, which we use called the 21st Mortgage Cash Program. So if you have a pitched roof late 90s home or 2000s or 2010s or whatever, the newer, the better. Those guys, if you have the title for the home, and don't get me started on titles for mobile homes because it's like the freaking Wild West out there. I can't tell you how many of our park-owned homes we've bought that don't have titles. But we'll say, assume you have the title, then what happens is those chattel lenders out there will actually allow you to do a mini cash-out refi based on the NADA value, the NADA value. That's like the Kelly Blue Book of mobile homes. And what they'll say is, If you have the title, send it to us, send us basically all four sides of the mobile home and then a bunch of interior photos. And then what we'll do is we'll put an NADA value on it and we'll put a note on that home and you guys will sign on the PG as the park owner. And then we'll actually give you a cash out refi of that at a hundred LTV. So if they think the home's worth 12,000, they'll write you a check for 12,000. So there is some liquidity there for sure. But the logistics on actually getting that money and seeing a capitalized, not a capitalized return, but actual tangible yield, the operational overhaul to get that done, you need a deep team, a very deep team to get the title for the park-owned home, take pictures, go through all the steps. Because the chattel lender doesn't just want pictures and a little application filled out. It wants a lot more than that. So it's a good question, though. But you need some breadth within your team. And you need some operational expertise because you're not just going to collect that income month one. It's going to take you some time to kind of recapture that. What's mistake number two? Mistake number two is private utilities. And what I mean by that is it's not that you shouldn't go out and just not buy private utilities at all. But what you should do is the mistake really is isn't doing a significant deep dive into what the private utilities are at your property as well as taking a discount for those private utilities. If your market for sale pad in that particular market is 50000 a pad, well, it should be 40000 a pad if you're buying something with private utilities because you've got higher expenses. Within those higher expenses, you've got an operator that has to come out and operate the private utilities. You've got to do tests on your well or on your septic or on your package plan or on your lagoon. And you also have risks of those things blowing up on you. So if you have a septic tank, the earth stops going with you. Guess what happens? Your septic tank blows up and no longer leaches. Now you got to hook up to city sewer, city water. So you got to have higher reserves, et cetera. So there's all these different things you got to go into with your eyes open. And a lot of the owners will just say, well, the park down the street sold for me for 50,000 a pad, but it was hooked up to city sewer. Well, who cares? My septic tanks have never had a problem. Well, guess what? A lot of these parks have been around for 50 years and that's the life of the septic system. So you got to go in with your eyes wide open. We've seen too many operators go out there and not do any due diligence on private utilities and they get crushed. So that would be mistake number two. Do you want to hear three or do you got questions? Gotcha. Yeah, go ahead for three. So three is don't ever make the mistake of having a broker come in or reading a broker package and saying, all you got to do is fill 10 vacant lots. That's it. Hey, just go fill the lots. You're all good to go. 
Well, the problem is a lot of people don't realize if you're not in the business, the operational oversight of filling 10 vacant lots is unbelievably difficult because you've got to buy either new homes from the factory or used homes. You've got to get those homes on those pads and getting the homes on the pads, there's a ton of different logistical stuff. We've run into problems where the drivers of these homes can't actually make it in the park entrance because they're driving a highway truck versus a city truck and the highway truck physically can't make the turn. So they'll just drop the home in the street. We actually had that happen on one of our houses and we did not know that. So the guy showed up, dropped in the middle of the street. We had to scramble around. We got fined by the city, clogged up traffic. Anyways, it was a whole nightmare. So a lot of people don't understand the nuances and the logistics on trying to get homes on pads. It is not only extremely expensive, but the logistics on getting homes on pads, especially pads that haven't been used in a decade or two decades, is difficult. And then you got to hook up the sewer, the water, the electric, the whole nine yards while you're there. Most of the time, the sewer lines are gone or they're corroded or they're clogged. So don't ever let a broker come out and sell you. All you got to do is fill up 10 vacant pads and you're at a nine cap. It's going to take a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of capital. And either you have to be there or you better be paying somebody really well to make sure they are putting those homes in the correct placement, the correct direction, so that they're not facing the wrong way. Trust me, we've had it all. We've had to move multiple houses into correct positions because I'm kind of guy on the ground here and I wasn't there to make sure it was all on the right path. So don't ever get tricked by that. Any questions on that, Slocum? You know, I'm sensing a trend here and I want to see if that trend goes through mistakes four and five. So why don't you go ahead with them? Mistake four that we would caution operators about is again, utility recapture. So utility recapture for us is a lot of people say, hey, utility bills for this particular property are $3,000 a month. So all you got to do is put a bunch of submeters on there and guess what will happen? You'll recapture 100% of your first month and everything will be hunky-dory. Well, the problem is with a lot of those properties with high utility bills, it's not the residents, it's old water lines. And a lot of people don't realize this either. They think, oh, you can hire a company like American Leak Detection. Well, American Leak Detection, when they come out, they want a whole bunch of check boxes on the property. They want shutoff valves. Well, guess what? If you're buying a lot of these old trailers, shutoff valve was destroyed eons ago. So you got to install all shutoff valves before you close on the property. Because to find the leaks pre-close, like before you're actually buying the asset, you got to install shutoff valves on somebody else's property. So that costs extra due diligence, extra time. It's extra risk to you. As well as once you find the leaks or lack thereof, then if you go out and actually build these units back, you have meters break, you have issues with internet connectivity on most of these properties because they're in bad areas, et cetera. So you've got all these issues with submetering a property. It's not just like you plug and play. So we always recommend, if you can, get a city that already has city meters in front of these homes or work with the city to actually install their own submeters. It'll save you an unbelievable amount of operational oversight as well as money in the future because the city will be taking on those expenses, the leaks and everything else, and not yourself. So that's mistake number four. Anything on that slope? Tyler, I recently released an episode of this podcast called Why I Love Dumpsters, and I could very easily pontificate for 15 minutes on why I love shutoff valves. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an apartments guy and I'm based in Cincinnati, Ohio, and some of this stuff 
that I own, some of the stuff that I manage was built just after the Civil War. So it doesn't have original plumbing because there was no indoor plumbing when they were built. And so a lot of it's just Jimmy rigged pipes up every which wall that they could because it was after the fact plumbing installation. And some of that after the fact plumbing installation is many decades old. So I can't tell you how much I love not only a good shutoff valve, but 10 good shutoff valves in a basement just to make sure I know I can isolate everything. Yeah. Well said. You don't know until you know. The operational piece of this business is what either makes or breaks you. I'll tell you what. So I hear you. It's painful. Let's go with mistake number five. And mistake number five is being underinsured. We hate writing insurance checks every year. We rarely use them. But I'll give you a, a real life example. We had a house burn at one of our properties just recently. And to replace that house is probably going to cost us about $70,000. And I never got the insurance on the house completely on me. And now we basically have an asset that's doing nothing and producing no cash flow. So getting insurance, whether that's general liability and all the insurance on your park-owned homes, because unless you're Blackstone or your last name is Gates, you're going to be buying parks that are turnarounds. And buying parks that are turnarounds means you're going to be buying park-owned homes. That's just the facts of the matter. Insure every single one of your park-owned homes and make sure that insurance is qualified and in place throughout every single year that you have it. Because the amount of effort and energy, just going back to stake number three, to replace that existing home if it burns is going to cost you so much money and not only time, but also capital. So being insured, we've seen too many operators, especially mom and pops, that never had insurance on their property. General liability as well. And the general liability, I I don't even need to go into that. If you don't understand general liability, you got to take a 101 real estate crash course. But insuring your park on homes, you got to get that done because it has cost us tons of money for not doing that. So I would say that's the five biggest mistakes. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you a real estate investor struggling to streamline your property management? Are you tired of juggling multiple systems to effectively manage your portfolio? Meet Rentec Direct, your ultimate solution for automating management tasks, reducing errors, and most importantly, saving you time. Rentec Direct offers an all-in-one platform for accounting, marketing, tenant screening, rent collection, and much more. And the best part? You're never alone. With US-based live support and award-winning customer service, Rentec Direct is the partner you need to streamline your property management so you can focus on what's most important, growing your business and getting more deals done. If you're an investor looking to grow your portfolio, join the more than 15,000 investors and landlords who manage real estate assets totaling more than $200 billion using Rentec Direct. Just go to rentecdirect.com forward slash best ever and sign up for a free trial. Plans start at just $45 a month and you'll receive 20% off your first year just for being a best ever listener. That's R-E-N-T-E-C direct.com forward slash best ever for 20% off. Thank you. I'll want to run through all five again through my notes and my trend, my theme only ran through the first four. So let's talk about this one. Being underinsured. How often do you see insurance brokers make proposals for insurance for your acquisitions that you believe to be underinsuring the property? Oh, man. If I could give an example, I've already referenced the very old housing stock in Cincinnati that I manage. So what we often find is the difference between 
I'm not an insurance broker and I'm about to prove that. The difference between market value and replacement costs is often quite drastic. And I see insurance brokers propose coverages that will operate as replacement costs, meaning that money will not actually be dispersed to the insurance holder. It will be dispersed to contractors to repair or rebuild. And the insurance company will require that it would be rebuilt as it was previously. It could be architect, like structural brick construction. Anyways, I often see insurance brokers here not place enough of an emphasis on the reconstruction cost of a property that would be more expensive on today's terms to build and then not add sufficient income replacement in the event that there actually was something devastating to happen on site. Are you seeing things like that happen in the mobile home park space or is it that insurance brokers are proposing the right amount of insurance and investors are trying to tick up the NOI a bit by ticking down their insurance costs? Really good question. So the apartment space is going to be a little bit different than our space. If you talk to an operator with 10,000 units, he's probably seen a whole bunch more than us. But my narrow focus has been basically we get to dictate the value of whatever we think the replacement cost is going to be for our units. So if we can get insurance in place for units, it costs us about 500 bucks a year to insure a $40,000 home. So if we got a home sitting there and we'll say it was a 1990 three-bedroom, two-bath champion, well, that 1990, it ain't worth 40 grand. However, we can go and insure that home for 40000 because we know to actually bring in a new home is going to cost us 40000 And that costs us about 500 bucks a year. So what we found is the insurance companies are pretty lenient on when we come in and we actually do our valuations on the park-owned homes that we currently have in inventory. They say, whatever value you want, we'll just charge you for it. If we said $70,000, i am guessing it'd probably be 800 bucks a year. I'm making it up. Most of our homes are, we think, we're worth about 40. However, the general liability, it's almost impossible with the assets that we currently hold to get loss of income insurance. So if a tornado hits one of our mobile homes, and I think you've seen a tornado hit a mobile home park, ain't nothing left. So if a tornado hits one of our mobile home parks, we're toast. Unless we have a bunch of park-owned homes in there, we can't get loss of income insurance at all. So it's weird how, specifically in the state of Arkansas, a lot of those insurers have actually pulled out in the last 12 to 18 months. Thirdly, on the GL side, we've just started to get umbrella policies due to investors actually wanting more insurance coverage due to outside toxic risks. We've got a family office that we work with just had a big problem with a motel and carbon monoxide and some other stuff. So they want us to now start putting more umbrella coverage on our mobile home parks. And again, two different asset classes. And again, I'm just talking about our business personally, not everybody's business. But again, those are three points that I have there. Loss of business, insuring park-owned homes, and then the general liability. We're getting umbrella policies, at least on half of our parks now because of this family office we work with. So that's the nuances there. But I totally understand where you're coming from because to get a replacement value of a building these days with all the inflation we've had, I can't imagine how difficult that is. I cannot imagine. And I can't imagine the cost either. So Slocum, what about the insurance 
that you're seeing in your space? Has it doubled or tripled in the last year? Because I've seen insurance rates just go sky high. Yeah, you invest in the Southeast, and I'm sure that plays a factor in it. I'm not entirely sure where in the Southeast. That hasn't really been our conversation. Across the multifamily space, Florida, of course, has been the hardest hit. Coastal areas, much more significantly than Cincinnati, Ohio. Shout out to the boring Midwest. Our average property insurance increase annually right now is 15%. So not nearly as crazy as the increases that you're seeing in areas that are at higher risk of natural disaster. We still don't like it, of course, but we're not being hit nearly as hard. In fact, in a place like Cincinnati, the increase in insurance premiums is at about the same rate, the same percentage as the increases in rents that we're seeing. So frankly, we're just not feeling it all that much here. That's amazing. Combination of several factors. The average elevation here makes it such that we don't have to be as concerned with climate change. We're far away from hurricanes, earthquakes, other issues. Do get those tornadoes you referenced, though. So going back through mistakes one through four, which I'll reiterate in a moment, the theme that I'm seeing here, let's pretend that I'm taking your place, Tyler, and trying to summarize your points for you, and then you can tell me what I get right and what I get wrong. Mm -hmm. You never want to be underinsured. That should remain plain and simple. The first four points come down to unforeseen operational complexities that lead to requiring a lot more of your time, your effort, and expense. Taking your due diligence very seriously up front and making sure that these are things that you can recognize in an opportunity before you buy it or before you go under contract to buy it is critically important. And these are the things that bring the most operational complexity to a mobile home park deal. They're the biggest differentiators between investing in the land that people are renting to put a mobile home park on and operating a space filled with utilities and personal property that depreciates in value over time and is expensive to own, insure, borrow against, etc. Those four things are having park-owned homes, operating with private utilities instead of public utilities, out of order, but assuming that a utility recapture is going to go smoothly, especially if you have older infrastructure, and then accepting brokers' operational assumptions when those brokers are not also mobile home park operators. Is that a fair way to summarize those four points? So the brokers thing, just wanted to add something to that real quick. The brokers assumptions, that is true as well. Assuming brokers assumptions, we work with a lot of great brokers. Just want to throw all that out there, but they're not the best at underwriting deals. They don't understand the nuance. So I completely agree with you there, but more of filling in vacant pads with new homes. So if you've got a hundred space park and they say you got 10 vacant pads there to fill those vacant pads with homes is exceptionally difficult. It's one of the toughest turnarounds you're ever going to do. Everything else you nail. I wanted to hone in on that because a lot of people say there's opportunity. I've seen so many packages out there. There's opportunity with infill. And with infill, it'll be a nine cap or a 10 cap or a 15 cap. The problem is the broker never underwrites the operational costs it takes to actually get a home on a pad. And the amount of expertise and everything that goes into it, it's a nightmare. So 
Brokers assumptions, I agree with you 100%, but I went just a little deeper there because you see a lot of opportunities out there. Hey, fill 50 vacant pads and your park will be, you know, like I said, whatever, 15 cap. But it's just not that simple. So I just want to bring the nuance of that back in because, again, a lot of first-time operators will probably see those deals out there and think, that eh, can't be that hard. Setting aside the first-time mobile home park investors, speaking to investors with experience, Tyler, I feel like I'm asking about the market of the moment. The moment, by the way, is the beginning of Q4 2023. But typically within all investing, real estate operated as a business or investing in a business, operational complexity should lead to opportunity for higher returns. You should be able to buy at a steeper discount based on the NOI that you can produce because that NOI is more complicated to get to. It requires more expertise, savvy, time, human resource, what have you. Your mistakes surround creating false assumptions around operational complexity and recognizing how difficult it's going to be to, con to execute on business plans that include those variables. Are you seeing though in the market right now, opportunities to buy at a steeper discount that are discounts steep enough that if you convert on these kinds of things, it will actually lead to higher returns than if you buy the cut and dry, copy paste operationally mobile home parks? If you're going to brokers, you absolutely will not. Everything will be at market rate or higher. Regardless of these operational yeah, they don't, and the they don't care. Yeah, they're going to make you buy it at face value. And we'll just say hypothetically, they do give a discount. The discount's not steep enough for you to make up the yield that you're going to have to put in and the time you're going to have to put in to turn these things around. Everything we do is direct to seller. We send out postcards. We got cold callers, et cetera. So we find off-market deals. So I'll give you one example. And again, we bought 122 space property. It was all direct build utilities. So we didn't have to do anything with the utilities. And it was all tenant-owned homes. The operational issues that we had going into that deal was it was 30% delinquent. And probably 90% of that 30% was more than six months and they hadn't been evicted yet. So super mom and pop owner. And it was in a town of 5,000 people. So super small Metro. And we always look for metros over 50,000 because you can't fill vacancies. If you got a town of 5,000, just doesn't make any sense. So those were our two hurdles going into it. So we got this property at a significantly steep discount with a great seller care. We bought it for 2 million and we had a $500,000 seller second behind that with a 4% IO. We had that for 10 years. So really good seller financing in there, as well as really good price per pad. So that was a really cookie cutter deal, but we took risk on the place and we took risk on the delinquencies. So those are the two places we took risk. And that was a direct to owner. We went to the trust that was held in the trust and we went direct to that owner. But I don't think you're going to find that deal on the open market. And I don't think you're going to find that deal without going direct to the seller. Because if a broker had got a hold of that, probably would have sold for four, four and a half million pretty easily on the open market. So just to get back to your original point, yes, you can find those deals out there and you can find the discounts for those deals. But if you're just trying to look on LoopNet and Crexy, you're never going to find them. They're never going to pop up. 
we need to transition the podcast, but if, if you want to find mobile home community deals with a significant discount due to operational complexity, you have to take on the operational complexity. of <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. On that note, Tyler, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes, sir. What is the best ever book you recently read? Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willenick. I love that book, especially if you get the audible audiobook version because it's narrated by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. It's a much more intense experience listening to that book. And I'll say there are very few books that I will reread or re-listen to, but that's absolutely one of them. And a big part of it is the narration by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. What is your best ever way to give back? I'm a little different. I usually pick individuals. So I'll pick a individual that comes into my sphere of influence. I don't really like big nonprofits. I don't give to the Red Cross or anything like that. But what I usually do is I try and help one individual on a yearly or bi-yearly basis, whether that's some of these behind other bills or whatever. But that's my best way to give back is picking individuals that are trying to get out and get ahead. And I know them and they're going through a tough spot. We've all been there. And that's the way I like to do it. Interesting question to ask here, Tyler. And I'll say you can answer it on theme with the top five list that you just shared. On the deals you have done, Tyler, what is the biggest mistake you all have made and the best ever lesson that resulted from it? We bought a 33 space park, all park-owned homes. We convert park-owned homes to rent-to-owned homes. It offloads a lot of the repairs and maintenance from our staff as well as it makes them homeowners. So it drives up yield and does some other good things for our operations. But we were a little bit green to the business and we gave everybody a notice basically saying, get out or convert. And that doesn't go over too well with people. So we ended up having over a 50% vacancy in the first two months of us owning the property. We thought everybody would want to buy. That was not the correct assumption. And the only thing that saved us was the price. We bought that 33 spacer for 675000 and that's the only way we made the debt service. That would have taken us down if we wouldn't have bought it at such a good price. And that was probably the biggest mistake we've ever made. That was pretty scary times. I was on site every day. Can you summarize the lesson learned there? Lesson learned is when you go buy majority park-owned home, mobile home parks, buy at a discount and don't try and convert the renters too fast because you will have vacancy. And what is your best ever advice? Start buying mobile home parks today. They're the best asset class in commercial real estate right now. Best risk-adjusted returns. Tyler, last question. Where can our listeners get in touch with you? You can email me at tyler at mhcigroup.com, or you can look me up on LinkedIn. I don't have Facebook or Instagram or anything like that. Kind of an old fart in that sense. But you can look me up on LinkedIn or email me at tyler at mhcigroup.com. Those links are in the show notes. Tyler, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this episode, the top five mistakes to avoid in mobile home park investing, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend you know we can add value to through our conversation today. Thank you and have a best ever day. Thanks, Locum. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access 
and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.